Our Heavenly Father, as we come to Your Word, we ask for Your Spirit to guide us into all truth. Uh, we are, are so richly blessed to have these words. We know they are Your breathed out words. They come from You with Your authority. May we see them as such. So uh, may we, as we see them with Your authority, may we want to obey them and do what it says and uh, bring you honor and glory through through uh, what we see here. These are your words, your ways. Uh, cause us to o- obey and to be doers, not just hearers only. So would you give us understanding as, as well, not just see words, but understand them so we know how to obey you. And may we do it for the right reasons, mainly because we love you, want to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. In Peter, Peter's been talking about healthy relationships. And you might be wondering, why is Peter talking about healthy relationships? Because they're vital. Vital for God's honor and glory. Vital for the Christian witness. Vital in a world, first century world, and a modern world, by the way, where a lot of people, they don't love God, don't care about God's word, don't care about his ways, and don't care for Christians. And therefore, Christians get persecuted, just as they did in the first century. And so healthy relationships are vital for this Christian witness. Now, we've already seen in chapter 2 of 1 Peter that uh, a Christian is submit to all human authority. And Peter elaborates on all that human authority, including the government, even the emperor of Rome. Uh, And so if believers are to maintain a godly testimony... In, in this world, then they need to live blamelessly in these various ways. For example, in chapter 2, verse 13, he talks about uh, in the society itself. Chapter 2, verse 18, hey, we're to live godly, blameless lives for God even in the workplace. And we, we left off in chapter 2 talking about that. And now as we come into chapter 3, Peter's going to talk about a very appropriate conduct for the family. What should family life look like? And particularly, he's going to dive into this relationship, the the core of the family being wives and husbands. So look at 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter is being balanced here. He gives us, first of all, responsibilities for the wives, but then he addresses the responsibilities of the husbands. So lest uh, any of you ladies, we're going to start with you first, since Peter starts with you, lest you think uh, I'm somehow picking on you, Peter does address your husband. So uh, just bear with me. We'll get to them, okay? So let's first of all look at the responsibilities of wives. Verse 1 tells us that wives must subject themselves to their husbands. Now, notice it's your husband, okay? Not someone else's husband. And this is a command. It is something that we must do. We are to submit ourselves. Wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands. And you might say, well, why? You know, my, my, my husband is, uh, you don't know my husband. That, that's, that's true, but... You say, why? Well, you're to follow Christ's example. It doesn't matter how much we know about your husband. Chapter 3, by the way, notice you'll start, it starts with the word likewise, which is pointing us to the previous context. Chapter 2, so let's just remind ourselves, what did Peter end with in chapter 2? He ended with Christ. So look at chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 2, 21 says this, For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So here's the application, if you will, that when Christian couples are trying to imitate the world, and we try to get our standards from other sources like Hollywood, for example, uh, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Uh, and so we need, don't get your standards from Hollywood, get your standard from God. Get your standard from God in human flesh, Jesus Christ himself. And if you do, there, there's not going to be the troubles in the homes that, that are often the case when people are trying to imitate various aspects of the world. And so if couples are just imitating Jesus Christ in, in his submission and his obedience and his desire to serve others, then there's going to be triumph in your home. There'll be joy and peace in your home. And since this is such a touchy subject today, especially since the feminist movement started who knows how long ago, this has become a very unpopular thing. So let me just address what submission does not mean for wives. And so husbands, men, you need to clue in on this too because... Uh, there is there is a there is a pendulum swing and a, an abuse here that often happens not just in the Roman days but even in modern days. So 
There's pendulum swings of an abusive headship, but there's the, the other pendulum swing. Feminism has caused a lot of men to be passive. Both are wrong. And so we need to be balanced here. And so let's just see what we can gather from the text here to help us to understand submission. So we'll, we'll see what it's not. So submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Okay, ladies, I, I'm, I'm trying to help you out here, okay? Just so you understand, I'm not on anybody's particular side. I'm on everybody's side, really. I am for you, uh, but I'm, of course, trying to relay God's message, so bear with me here. And so, so it's not agreeing with everything your husband says. For example, you look at verse 1 here. You can see that, that this person is a Christian. This woman is a Christian here. Uh, it, it appears that the, the husband is not a Christian. Uh, he, has, uh, he has his set of ideas about the ultimate reality, and she has her set of ideas about ultimate reality. And Peter calls her here, notice verse 1, to be submissive while assuming that, she's not, uh, that she will not submit to his view. Okay? Uh, you know, she has this view of ultimate reality. He has a different one. And, of course, the uh, her view is that, that God's the most important in, in her life, and his view is something else. Usually it's yourself, isn't it? So submission can't mean submitting to just agree with all that her husband thinks. That's not what it's talking about here. Number two, submission does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar. <laughs> okay, uh, It's not the inability or the unwillingness to think for yourself. Okay, By all means, ladies, continue to think. God gave you your brain. So here, notice in, in our context, we have a woman here who obviously has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's thought about this good news. She has assessed the truth claims of Jesus Christ. She has apprehended in her heart that, that this is something that's beautiful. It, it's, it is, it, it, Christ is, is of great value. His work in my life is something that is important to me. And she chooses Jesus Christ. And so her husband, apparently, it says, also heard the gospel. Uh, otherwise, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Peter says in verse 1 that, that he disobeyed the word. So apparently he's heard the word. He's heard the word of God. He's thought about it. He chooses to do a different thing. He's not chosen Christ. And she thought for herself here on her own. She acted on her own with God's enabling, of course. And so Peter doesn't tell her to just retreat from that commitment he doesn't he doesn't say just because your husband's an unbeliever that you have to retreat from your commitment to jesus christ number three submission does not mean avoiding every effort to change a husband <laughs> now if you look at the context here the, the whole point of the text is to tell a wife how to win a husband notice the, the word win in your verse there also is pointing to this truth that we're talking about an unsaved husband he needs to be one to christ so verse one talks about being submissive to your own husband so that 
even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one. And so if you didn't care about the biblical context here and just ripped it out of its context, you might say, well, submission means that uh, you, you take a husband the way he is and you don't try to change him. That's not what it's saying. And so if you do care about the context, which I hope you do, then you need to conclude that submission is a strategy for changing him. You want him to change because it's for his good and God's glory. Now, the goal of this text is to help wives bring about this change. By the way, the change is not your preferences, okay? The change has to do with the deep change of the heart. It's a transformation of someone who is spiritually dead to someone who is spiritually alive. Go from the old creature to the new creature. So submission does not say, hey, well, I renounce all of my efforts to change my husband. That's not what it's talking about. Number four, submission does not mean that the wife is a follower. Uh, sorry, that's sorry, getting ahead. Uh, submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Your husband doesn't come before Jesus. The text clearly here, if you look at it, teaches that the wife is a follower of Jesus before and above being a follower of her husband. Now, in this case, the husband, like I said, appears to be an unbeliever based on this context. He's going on on the path of unbelief. The wife's on the path of belief. She's not following him in that path because she's been called here to be a disciple of Jesus. And so it's interesting in verse 6, uh, Sarah from the book of Genesis is given as an example. And uh, when Sarah calls her husband Abraham Lord, there in verse 6, notice the Lord is a little L. It's a little L. The idea here is kind of like calling your husband sir. I know that might get some chuckles out of some of you. Uh, but the, the obedience that she's rendering here is a secondary obedience. It's filtered through the obedience to the capital L, Lord. All right? Number five, submission does not mean that a wife gets her personal spiritual strength from her husband. It's not, not the source. Now, a good husband should indeed strengthen and build up and sustain his wife. We'll get to that in a moment, but he should should be a source of strength, but not the source of strength. Now, there's ways in which a wife, if you notice, according to verse 7, she is called a weaker vessel. Ladies, you're called a weaker vessel. But what the text shows us is that when husbands uh, are spiritually nurturing and leading, it's a healthy thing. But when a husband's spiritual nurturing and leadership is lacking, a Christian wife is is not somehow uh, lacking in strength. Submission doesn't mean that she is dependent on him to supply all this strength. You are not, as a woman, dependent upon your husband, if you're married, for faith and virtue and character and so forth. 
In fact, if you look at the text, the text assumes the exact opposite. She is summoned here to develop depth in her life and the strength and this character and faith. In fact, verse 5 says that her hope is in God. Her hope is not in her husband. Number six, submission does not mean a wife is to act out of fear. In fact, verse six, the last part of verse six, notice it says that you have become Sarah's children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. In other words, what I'm trying to, what the text is telling us here is submission is free. It's not coerced. It's not forced. The Christian woman is a free woman. And so when she submits to her husband, doesn't matter, by the way, whether the husband is a believer or unbeliever, she's doing it in total freedom. Never should be done out of fear. Now that's the temptation, uh, particularly in the first century. We'll talk about that in a moment. But not out of fear. Now, I have some other ones that have gathered from various places. Just three more that uh, you not necessarily find in the text, but I hope you'll find them helpful. Number seven is that submission doesn't mean if your husband asks you to abandon your faith, you should do so. All right, you, you can't you can't give up anything that's genuine in this situation anyway. Okay, we obey God. No matter what, come what may. All right, I, I think that one's pretty obvious, so we'll move on. Uh, number eight, submission doesn't mean if your husband asks you to sin that you should do so. All right, doesn't matter what that sin is. All right, no matter what that sin is, we rejoice in the truth. We re, we do what God wants us to do. And uh, number nine, submission doesn't mean that if your husband abuses you that you have to remain quietly in the home and just accept your husband's cruelty. In fact, we even have laws in New Zealand for abuse. Okay, if a husband is abusing, whether that, by the way, that can come verbally, emotionally, physically, just to name three. So whatever that abuse is and what form that may be, we, we have laws in New Zealand that that help in that situation. Seek help if you are finding yourself or know of someone in such a situation. Okay, you do have recourse. So that's what submission is not, what it doesn't mean. You say, well, okay, great. What does it mean? Uh, here's a helpful definition that I, that I use. It is, uh, submission is the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. So notice it's a disposition. It doesn't, it doesn't make it an absolute, total thing all the time. But it is, it is the disposition of your, the general way of your life, in other words, to follow your husband's authority as much as you possibly can. You don't have to do it all the time if, you know, if it's sin or so forth. But notice it's also an inclination. You are yielding up a lot, okay, to his leadership. You're not to take the leadership. Your husband is to take the leadership. 
So basically, I'm saying it's an attitude of your heart. That's basically saying, hey, I, I'm delighting in you, dear, <laughs> whatever your nickname is for him. Uh, I'm delighting for you to take the initiative in our family. Say, hey, I'm glad for you to take this responsibility. I, I, I want you to lead with love. Uh, hopefully your, your attitude is, hey, I'm not going to flourish if you're just going to be passive. I'm not going to flourish if you're going to be abusive. Uh, but I, I, I want you to lead. And uh, I have to make sure that the family works well according to God's way and His plan. So the first responsibility of a wife is to submit to her own husband. Number two, wives should depend upon their lives more than their lips in witnessing to their unsaved husbands. So again, the context seems to be that this is an unsaved husband. So again, notice it's uh, verse 1. He is disobeying the word. He needs to be one. But how is that happening? It's one without your word. It's by your conduct, verse 1 says. So an unsaved husband, ladies, is not going to be converted by your preaching. Your your unsaved husband is not going to be converted by nagging him. And notice the phrase, without the word here. uh, It's not referring to the word of God. But what it is referring to, because obviously salvation comes through the Word of God, the Bible says. It, what it does mean is he's going to be one without your talking, without a lot of speaking. So Christian wives who are preaching at their husbands are actually driving their husbands away from God. In fact, I'll give you an example of something I heard about. You might find this a little humorous. There was a... Uh, overzealous wife who uh, wanted her husband to become a Christian. He's an unbeliever. And so what she decided to do is, I'm going to play the Christian radio station really loud, like all the time. So that so he's going to hear the gospel and come to Christ. Well, <clears throat> she had good intentions, but what she actually ended up doing is she drove him away to his unsaved friends. He didn't want to be in the house. So instead of depending upon her life to to witness to her unsaved husband, she's trying words. (laughs) It usually doesn't work. And so the result is she she just made it easier for him to just leave the home, go spend time somewhere else. So Peter's telling us here it's the character. It's the conduct of the wife that's going to win the lost husband. It's not your arguments. No matter how good those arguments might be, that's not going to win them. And number three, the third responsibility is inner beauty is far more important than your outer beauty. By the way, Peter warned the Christian wife here to not major on external decorations. What is he telling you to to concentrate on? It's your internal character. Now, it's interesting, in in Peter's day, in Rome in particular, Roman women were captivated by the latest fashions of the day. In fact, they would would spend a lot of money, go out of their way 
to compete against each other. Who can have the, the best dress? Who has the best hairdos? And so it's not unusual for the women of, of Peter's day here to uh, have very elaborate hairstyles. And as he talks about, and he's alluding to here, they would, uh, they would stud their hair with gold, silver, and even jewels would be hanging off their heads. And so they wore elaborate and expensive clothing. And you say, why are they doing all this? They're doing it to impress each other. Why do we do silly things like this? Okay. Now, we, we, we don't look as silly as they probably did, but we, we are interested in the praise of people, aren't we? We're people pleasers, generally speaking. But Peter tells us the, the inner beauty is more important than your outer beauty. So a Christian wife with an unsaved husband might think that somehow she has to imitate the world so that she can win her husband. Doesn't, doesn't work. In fact, Peter's saying, do the exact opposite. Don't, don't try to imitate the world to win your husband. Do the opposite. So glamour is, is something just it's artificial, it's external, but, but true beauty is something that's real, it's internal. Glamour is something a person can put on, like makeup. But inner beauty, you can't take that off. True beauty is something that's always present. Glamour is something that's corruptible, whereas true beauty is incorruptible. It never fades, never decays. True beauty is something that comes from the heart, actually grows over the years. A Christian woman who's convo- uh, sorry, cultivating this kind of a beauty, this inner beauty, will not have to depend on makeup, jewels, fancy hairdos, fancy clothing. Because God cares about value, not price. Now, of course, I, I know some of you, I, I, I know what some people think when they read passages like this. In fact, I may have thought this way at one time. So let me head you off at the pass. All right? This doesn't mean that a wife should neglect herself. Okay? Uh, it doesn't mean that it, it's a sin to go and buy a new piece of clothing. It's not a sin to get a hairdo. It's not a sin to wear jewelry. Okay? That is not what Peter is saying. Okay, So please don't take that pendulum swing over to the other side there. Okay, It just simply means she's not majoring on being fashionable. It's not your responsibility to somehow keep up with the Cardassians or anybody else in the world. Heaven forbid... So any husband is proud of a wife who is attractive. But that beauty must come from the heart. That beauty never comes from a store. You can't buy it. All right? Uh, We're not of this world, but we we must not look as though we've just come out of this world. And by the way, Peter did not forbid the wearing of jewelry or the use of makeup and cosmetics. Otherwise then Peter's also saying, don't wear clothes. All right, you understand the context, right? Because he's also talking about your apparel, your clothing. Uh, The word wearing there in in verse 3 just means you're putting it around you. It refers to this gaudy display. Peter's just saying, don't be gaudy. Don't be 
ostentatious. Don't, don't be a show-off. All right? It's possible to wear jewelry. You can still honor God. It's possible to wear makeup and still honor God. But we should not be judging one another in this matter because you can't see someone's heart. And then Peter, as he's talking about responsibilities of wives, he, he touches something here that a lot of people struggle with. Peter closed the section by pointing to Sarah as an example of a godly, submissive wife. Now, you need to read the context, Genesis, particularly chapter 18, for this background. So Christian wives today would probably be rather embarrassed to go around calling their husband Lord. Uh, I know I would be embarrassed to hear my wife calling me Lord. But don't, don't miss this Okay, it, it's more concerned about the attitude of your heart. The attitude ought to be such that your husband could hear something like this and, and people would believe it. <laughs> the, the problem is a lot of people hear this sort of thing and they don't believe it. They think you're making a joke. And so the believing wife who submits to Christ and her husband, who is cultivating a a meek and a quiet spirit are never going to have to be afraid you will not be fearful why because god is going to watch over you god's going to watch over you he is with you as you obey him and seek to follow him all right ladies you can pass the rotten tomatoes figurative rotten tomatoes now over because we're going to talk about responsibilities of husbands okay you say, wow, we get six verses for the wives and one for the husbands. What's going on here? Well, basically this, okay? It was very common in the first century for wives to, to become Christians and for the husbands to not be Christians. We've got a similar issue today, don't we? Uh, more women seem to come to Christ than, than the husbands. And so this was something that was very real. It was going on in the churches of the first century. So they, they needed all this, this, this background to help them out. But I must say, there are is, there is some serious responsibilities for us here as husbands, okay? We're not off the hook. So look at this, verse 7. It tells us that, uh, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, you might be shocked at this first one, some of you men. But notice your first responsibility is to submit to your wife. Yes, I know it doesn't say that there, but notice the very first word of verse 7 is likewise, which matches the very first word in verse 1, which is also likewise, which both of those words, likewise, are pointing to the context of Christ's submission. Christ is the ultimate example of submission, equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, Trinity, totally equal in essence, yet Jesus submits to the Father's will, even though he's equal. The ultimate example of husband and wife, husband and wife equal, yet there is a submission. There is a mutual submission, as Ephesians 5 says. So submission is the responsibility of the Christian husband, not just the Christian wife. 
Uh, now you say, well, what does that look like? Uh, now here's where the rubber meets the road. The submission does not refer to authority. Okay, you don't, you, husbands, you don't submit to your wife's authority and leadership in the home. You're the one with the leadership. But a, a believing husband needs to submit to this loving duty of being sensitive to, to your wife's needs, to your wife's feelings, to her fears. In other words, a Christian husband needs to subordinate himself, subject himself to his wife. Now, I asked my wife, is there, because I was, I was afraid of being proud and giving an example on this, so I asked my wife, what's something that I can share to, to help the men of our church understand what does it look like for a husband to submit to his wife? So here's what my wife said. Uh, in fact, this just came from last week. She said that she was thankful that uh, there, there was a, a time last week where we had planned to spend some time together. Uh, usually I have to actually schedule with the church secretary to meet with my wife. They're one and the same. Um, but I usually have to put it in the schedule so that it happens because she's so busy that it just won't happen if I don't schedule it. And so that time had come where I was looking forward. I get to be with my wife. I have a, get to have this time with her. And you know what? When that time came, she wasn't emotionally ready. In fact, she just started crying because her dear friend had gone to be with the Lord in heaven. And you know who I'm referring to. She just died recently. And so she, she, she just wanted to be alone. She, she wasn't ready. So I had to submit to my wife's feelings and her needs during that moment. I, I could have forced myself on her, but that would not be loving. I wouldn't be submitting myself to her. So I chose to do what God wanted me to do. This, in fact, this text here was on my mind when she said, I'm just sorry. She just said, I'm sorry, I, I, I need to be alone. So that, my, my friends, that's a, an example of how I had to submit my, my needs, my ways, my wants to my wife's needs. It was hard. It wasn't easy for either one of us, but it needed to be done. A second responsibility for husbands is, notice the text says, to live with your wife. Now, I know that might seem obvious to, to us, but for some people it's not. Now, here's what it's talking about, my friends. This implies a lot more than just sharing the same address. This is implying a lot more than uh, you, you are, your wife, guys, is not your flatmate. You ever had a flatmate? You share the same address? Living in the same building? Might see each other once in a while? might talk to each other once in a while. All right? But that is not what the Bible is talking about here by when it says live with your wife. See, a husband has to take time to be with his wife. And we're not just talking about being in each other's presence like like too often you'll see, you you ever gone I've seen this happen. You go to somewhere in town, right? You and you might be at a cafe for example and you see a husband and wife sitting next to each other. They're not talking. They're both on their devices. They're both in their own little worlds. 
they're in their each other's presence, but they're not together. You know what I mean? Okay, that's not what God's talking about here by living with your wife stuck on your devices. All right, the word live here actually means dwell together. It refers to living with someone in intimacy. You are cherishing the other. Husbands must constantly nourish and cherish their wives in this bond of intimacy. It, it requires time, work, effort. One of the things you need to be aware of, when, when you become one flesh, which happens at marriage, the I and the me becomes now the us and the we. There's no more I and me. So that's involved in this as well as you live with your wife. Don't just think of yourselves as flatmates. You've got to resist that at, at all costs. So live with your wife. Number three, understand your wife. So it goes beyond just living. It's understanding. It's, it's interesting. If you look at verse 7 here, it's, it's amazing to me that two married people can live together and not really know each other. There's a great danger, and this often happens. I've seen this over and over where, where, where couples, uh, they've done a lot of talking in their dating, courtship time. They, they knew a lot about each other. Then they have children, and they kind of forget about each other, and then they become empty nesters, and then they start looking at this, their spouse like, who are you? Because they've, they haven't connected during the children years. And so that's why you'll see a lot of people, when they become empty nesters, they end up getting divorced. Very dangerous. See, ignorance is dangerous in the marriage. And so you got to continually reconnect. you got to, for example, do you know what your, your wife's primary love language is? If you've never read the five love languages, that, that'll create some interesting conversations. Trust me, we've had many over the years. What, what is your love language? Well, guess what? I found out my wife's love language has actually changed over the years. I had to study her, ask her questions to find that out. Huh, interesting. So a Christian husband needs to know his wife well. You need to know your wife's moods. You ought to be able to look in her eyes, pretty much tell what's going on, how her feelings are, her needs, her fears, her hopes. You know, a couple that's connected can just look at each other without talking and know, they know what's going on because they're connected. So you need to listen to your wife. You need to share meaningful communication with your wife. Now, I stand guilty. I'm a man. Some men, like me, have a hard time communicating with their spouses. Okay, Guilty as charged. A lot of men are that way. So ladies, just be aware of that. Uh, we, we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time particularly communicating our feelings. Guys are doers. A lot of guys are just doers. We're, we're happy to go out and do things, but please don't make me sit down and talk about my feelings. That is painful. That is hard for me to do that. Okay, But you need to do that. Ladies, you need to be aware it's often hard. You need to listen. Be patient. <laughs> Meaningful communication needs to go on there. And so... You need to understand your wife. There has to be in the home a, a, a protective atmosphere there. There needs to be a loving atmosphere, an atmosphere of submission. 
that the husband and wife can disagree, but can still be happy together. Okay? You don't want an atmosphere where, where you have to see eye to eye in everything. That isn't going to happen until you get to heaven. Okay? So you need to have an atmosphere where you can disagree, but still, still be happy together. Okay? So how do you do that? Well, speak the truth in love is very helpful. It's a helpful solution to our communication problems. That comes from Ephesians 4. So it's, it's, somebody has said that love without truth is hypocrisy. And truth without love is brutality. All right? So you, you need both. It's balance. Truth and love if you're to grow in your understanding of one another. So how can a husband show consideration for his wife? Well, you need to know your wife's needs. You need to know, does your wife have any problems? You need to communicate in love. So to say, well, you know, I never knew you felt that way, dear. Ooh, that hurts. I never knew you felt that way. Well, guess what? You have a communication problem then, don't you? And so both mates need, uh, shouldn't be afraid to be open and honest. And if you do, then you're, you're, you're building walls between yourselves those walls need to come down otherwise you're not understanding your wife number four fourth responsibility is to show honor to your wife verse seven tells us this again showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel so guys you need to think of yourselves as a knight in shining armor coming to your wife's rescue right i know that's hard to imagine these days isn't it but treat your wife like a princess now, Peter, by the way, is not suggesting that a wife is weaker in regard to her mental ability. A, a, a woman is not weaker morally. A wife is not weaker spiritually. That is not what Peter's talking about here. In fact, ladies, you often surpass us in those areas, okay? But what Peter is alluding to is physically. We, we Generally speaking, not always, because I, I, know, I know some women who have beaten up their boyfriends before uh, but generally speaking the the woman god designed you to be weaker physically speaking and so the husband is to treat his wife like she is an expensive very valuable beautiful vase something that's fragile like something that's a great treasure that could easily be broken right that's what god is telling us she is your treasure treat her like it uh, now, happiness in a home is, I've learned over the years, is just made up of a lot of little things. So if you're a typical guy and you're the doing kind of a person, just don't, don't just do big things on anniversaries and birthdays and Christmas and so forth, right? Be a guy who's involved in the little things every week, often. The big resentments often grow out of small hurts. Deal with those small hurts. Ask forgiveness when you need to. Ooh, that hurts. But husbands and wives need to be honest with each other. Admit your needs. Admit your hurts. Seek forgiveness and healing when that needs to be done. Don't, don't let those things build up. Because what, what ends up happening if you do is uh, somebody nicknamed it gunny sacking, where you just... You keep grabbing things where you're hurt, keep throwing in the sack, and then 
And then eventually when the sack gets full, you just unload it on your husband or your wife, right? It's like a volcano explosion. And the other spouse is like, whoa, where'd that come from? It's like, and you're speechless, right? Well, you've been gunny sacking. You're holding it up. Don't. It's much easier just to deal with the small things as they come along. And so often God balances a marriage. This is interesting how God works, isn't it? Often the, the husband needs what the wife has. They, they complement each other. Uh, you know, she likewise needs the, the man's good qualities. Uh, one that often happens is uh, husbands are often very impulsive, go-getter kind of guys, might be impatient, and they need the wife to kind of slow them down because the wife is patient. She's not impulsive. And so the two make, yeah, I can create some friction there, but the, but they help each other. Okay, that's just one example. All right, last one. Last responsibility of the husband is to recognize your spiritual equality with your wife. She is your spiritual equal. Both made in God's image. All right, spiritually you're, you're equal. And why? why? Why do I need to recognize this? Well, notice uh, verse 7 tells us how, how believing couples treat one another actually affects your relationship with God. Your human relationships affect your relationship with God. Now, we need to remember that husband and wife are equal. You are, are heirs of the grace of life. Both of you are heirs. And so you're equal with, with different roles. You don't have the same roles. God designed different roles. Just as within the Trinity, we, we follow the Trinity's example. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Equal, different authority, or, sorry, different roles to play within that authority. Different functions, if you will. You're just going to have conflict if, if both of you are trying to do the same roles. Now, it might be a good thing if husbands and wives would occasionally kind of take a little inventory. Uh, here's some questions coming from the text, derived from the text, based upon what Peter is actually writing here. Let me suggest you might use some questions like this to evaluate your marriage. Number one, are we partners or competitors? Hopefully you don't want to be a competitor. Because Peter says you are heirs together of the grace of life. Number two, are we helping each other become more spiritual? Okay, Your spouse, if your spouse is a believer, that makes you brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a far greater relationship where you're to be building each other up, edifying each other. Three, are we depending on the externals or the eternals? Of course, God wants you to focus on the eternal, setting your affections on things above and not on the earth. Number four, do we understand each other better? You're never going to fully understand each other, but are you striving to grow in this area? And then number five, are we sensitive to each other's feelings and ideas? Are you sensitive? Do you care? Are you trying to show some sympathy in this? hopefully trying to empathize. And so the honest answers to those kind of questions are, are going to make a difference 
it's painful, but helpful process. So let me just end by a reminder here, my friends, that marriage is not mainly about you staying in love. That is not what marriage is about. Yes, you need to love each other. The Bible does tell us to do that. But it, it is a covenant-keeping relationship. That you made a covenant with your spouse. So ladies, men who are not married yet, marriage is a covenant. It's not, it's not about feelings and emotions. Those are involved. And so the main reason it's about covenant-keeping is that God designed the relationship between a husband and wife to represent a greater relationship, the relationship Christ has with His bride, the church. And that's the deepest meaning of marriage. Our, our marriages, marriages in this world are to represent that. And that's why ultimately the roles of headship and submission then are very important. Are we accurately representing that relationship that Jesus has with His bride. And so if our marriages are going to tell the truth about God, they're going to tell the truth about Christ and His church, we, we can't be indifferent about this. We, we can't just ignore this and pretend it's not important. It is very important. And so let it not go without saying that God's purpose for the church and, by the way, for the Christian wife who represents the church is God cares about your everlasting holy joy. Just as He said so in Ephesians 5, Christ died to bring that about. Christ died because He loved, loves His bride and is seeking to make her spotless, pure. And one day He's going to come and marry her. So Christ died to bring this about. And so our marriages are, are pointing to the greater reality. And may God enable us to do such. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, Christ's love for the church. Thank you for bringing us into this beautiful relationship which we do not deserve. So we, we praise you for your grace and your enabling to make us your people to open our eyes to spiritual truth that we would truly behold wonderful things from your word and we would not just see it but we would believe it and then we could act upon it uh, as hard as, as the, these truths are these commands and principles that are mentioned here we ask you would enable us to do this for your honor and glory that we would give to the watching world an accurate representation of who you are, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.